Destroying the media lies and dismantling the narratives. One story at a time. It's the Adrian Slate Show. Anyone want to tell Nancy Pelosi that she's lost her, her control over her party and over her speakership? Anyone want to tell Nancy Pelosi that um, you don't have the control that you think you do? You've got Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez out here, Sandy on the block with her plastic bags, running around talking about how we have 12 years left and demanding that these kids from the Sunrise Movement go in and start dictating what uh, Dianne Feinstein and uh, Nancy Pelosi, what they should be pushing as far as agenda items, and no pushback. This is a freshman who was barely there. She's only been there less than three months. Then you got Rashid Tlaib, you know, impeach the MFR talking about the president. And what does she do? She's out there just totally in lockstep with Ilhan Omar. And what is Ilhan Omar doing? She is the most anti-Semitic Somali refugee on the block. Nancy Pelosi isn't keeping her in check. Still keeping her on the House Foreign uh, Relations uh, Committee, Foreign Affairs Committee. So this Somali refugee who hates the Jews, you know, she is now going to have influence over the House Foreign Intelligence Committee. And what's even crazier about it is the fact that the left has, has decided to come up with these crazy ways to justify everything. Oh, well, you know, she doesn't understand the words that are coming out of her mouth. Uh, I don't buy that. Oh, you know what? She's young. She's a freshman. Oh, yeah, she's she's young. She's 37. Let's lower the voting age to 16, by the way. And then on top of that, uh, well, you know, she's been through struggles. You know, Jews need to worry about their white Jewy privilege. Yeah, they've only been doused with Zyklon B and slaughtered by the millions by a crazy dictator. But you know what? They've got privilege You know, she's from Somalia, which has nothing to do with Israel, but she has a healthy disdain for the Jews, and so does Rashid Tlaib because she's Palestinian, and we need to get rid of the Israeli state. Oh, and she wasn't talking about the Jews. She was talking about Israel. You know, she wasn't talking about the people. She was talking about the landmass, which she never referenced Israel as a nation. She talked about how the Jews were all about money. And it was the Jews, you know, all about the Benjamins. I joked around, it's all about the Netanyahu's, isn't it? So we're going to let her run roughshod all over the Democrat Party and all over the power that Speaker Pelosi has, apparently. You know, Mitch McConnell never let this crap go on on the right. Mitch McConnell, look what he did when people like Matt Bevan were primarying him. Look at Roy Moore. Suddenly Roy Moore shows a threat to the right. And what does is, what is Mitch McConnell do? Pours resources to destroy his fellow GOPer because of the fact that he was worried about that kind of influence coming from the right. He was worried about the revolutionary side of the right. He was worried about the Tea Party, the conservatives. And so he has found ways in primaries to destroy candidates coming up within the GOP that may shake up their establishment ranks. Now, the DNC... They've always had everybody in lockstep. They've never felt this kind of revolutionary uh, status coming through, this kind of civil war within their party, and they're getting it now, and they don't know what to do about it because they don't want to ostracize their voters. 
But at the same time, they do want to allow some sort of movement to communism, Marxism, socialism. And so they're only going to fight back so far. So they're not going to fight against these people. And that's what we're dealing with. They're not going to fight like Mitch McConnell, where he sees somebody that might be a threat to the status quo establishment. And then he's going to devise a plan to have all these women show up and they've got yearbooks signed at a Waffle House and whatever the case may be. They're going to find a way to pump tons of money onto these candidates, find a way to bring some sort of scandal about to threaten their legitimacy and their credibility. You're not seeing that on the left. Now, they are talking about primary and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and I would imagine they would think about primarying Ilhan Omar, but because of her anti-Semitism. But, you know, it's, it's affecting their party, but they don't care. I mean, one of the things that they're looking at in fixing the problems, such as, you know, Hillary Clinton not going to Wisconsin, they're going to go ahead and set up their Democratic National Convention in 2020, in Wisconsin, in Milwaukee, and maybe Hillary Clinton can get up there and say, hey, last time I was here was uh, (laughs) a long time ago before I ran up against Trump. But regardless of that, hey, and they might even boo God again three times. That'll be nice to revisit. But what we have to look at is they're trying to fix some of the issues that they're having within their party, but their party is dealing with the fact that they're giving so much attention to these leftists, so much attention to these democratic socialists embedded within their party. These are, it's their Tea Party, as they like to say, even though the Tea Party was the rebellion against taxation without representation. I guess their Tea Party is the rebellion of government not having all the control, something like that, because everything in the free market is evil unless government controls it. Government needs to come in and break up the internet industries like Elizabeth Warren is trying to say. All these internet industries who have supported and gave active cover and provided assistance to the left in silencing conservatives, whether it be Facebook, whether it be Twitter, shadow banning and hiding dissenting opinions or censoring and suspending and, you know, basically kicking people off the platform that they don't agree with. You know, don't say learn to code. You'll be locked up for 12 hours. But I don't want to be beating Mr. Ed with a ball ping hammer here, but they are now the ones who are being, you know, threatened under the gun. And Elizabeth Warren wants to take it a step to a point where she's going to attack the tech industry. But the tech industry, for some reason, doesn't care about this threat to their monopolies or oligarchies or whatever you want to call it. Their power structure, the fact that they've got the platforms that people are engaging on and they get to dictate what is said on those platforms. And rightfully so. It's their business. But at the same time, they start to fall into a situation to whether or not they are considered a platform versus a publisher. You know, when you're picking and choosing what is allowed to be said because you don't like it, well, you're no longer a platform. You're now a publisher. You're not providing an environment for people to engage. You're now dictating what is said within the environment. And, you know, it's your business, but you're going to have to pick and choose. 
and people will be able to make a market reaction to their own choice as to whether or not to partake in your platform, publishing platform, whatever you want to call it. But the South by Southwest Festival doesn't seem to mind hosting and giving platform to these individuals. And they've done so with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. They brought her on the stage to speak a lot of nonsense. It's hard to have these conversations, I think, as a society, because we all have different ideas of what, just in the public imagination, there's, there are different ideas of what does capitalism mean, what does socialism mean, etc. But for me, when I think about what those definitions are, capitalism isn't to me, is it's an ideology of capital. It puts capital, the most important thing is the concentration of capital, and it means that we seek and prioritize profit and the accumulation of money above all else, and we seek it at any human and environmental cost. That is what that means. And to me, that ideology is not sustainable and cannot be redeemed. So think about what she just said. There was a lot that she said in that little sound clip that should really touch a nerve. First off, she's talking about the ideology of capital. What is capitalism? I, God, again, I'm beating Mr. Ed with a ball-peeing hammer, and he's like, Wilbur, Wilbur, stop beating me. You brought me back to life, Wilbur. We keep beating this dead horse over and over, but it has to be said because people don't understand what it, it's really all about. Capital. Say you have money. Say you have an idea. Say you have resources. Say you have assets. You have something that you want to put to work, to grow. So you go, okay, I've got an idea, something that really I'm passionate about something that can better society, something that might make life easier, something where I'm going, I see a void and I'm going to fill it. Something that's going to, hey, something that I just think, you know what, if someone did this, maybe they would make some money. And so I'm going to take what little capital I have, whether I borrow capital to make things happen, whether I seek investors to invest in my idea, whether I have capital itself. Whatever the case may be, I'm going to take those seeds and I'm going to plant them. And I'm going to start building a business that will facilitate these things. I'm going to hire people. I'm going to buy assets. I'm going to you know, rent facilities and get warehouses and buy machinery to help make my products or, or devise processes and start making services available. And I'm going to grow this business by just going through trial and error, I'm going to hit brick walls. But you know what? Over time, the return on investment, the ROI, not the ROI that Kamala Harris wants to use our taxpayer dollars for. You know, she's out there talking about, well, we need to really look at green energy and, and a green new deal because it is a return on investment. Don't take my tax money and start using that as seed money for ROI because guess what? You guys wouldn't do that when we actually thought it was a good idea and in investing in private stocks and, and in the market for Social Security. So before you start dabbling in our money and risky ROI, start thinking about how you were outraged when we thought about doing that with retirement plans. But 
going back to ROI, that is, I'm going to take this initial chunk and it's going to bring me back a little bit more than what I put into it. It's going to grow. And at the same time, I'm going to provide services. I'm going to provide products. I'm going to provide you know, things to make life easier or maybe just cool things that might be entertaining. It doesn't matter. There's no moral reasoning behind it. The morality that we should have is how we treat those and how we go about getting that, uh, that process rolling and pursuing it. And now there is a case for them to be made or a case for them to make on whether or not businesses in general have that moral fiber. And many will say, well, no, they don't. Look, they underpay their staff. They treat them with crappy conditions. They don't give them raises. They, they, uh, you know, they don't pay them what they're worth. And you know what? That is on the individual. That is because biblical morality has been stripped of all of this stuff. That's the other nugget that she's talking about. She's making a case for her own moral standing. That's why she says capitalism is beyond redemption, redeeming. What is redemption? Well, in the Christian community, it's all about being redeemed for sins that you may have committed. And even though you can't fix your sinful nature on your own, you are redeemed by grace, by somebody who will provide salvation, who took it upon themselves to be the sacrifice and is giving forgiveness when we don't even deserve it. That's redemption. And what she's talking about is government redemption. You're, you're out there running businesses, and you don't care about human cost. You don't care about environmental cost. Well, a lot of these businesses over the last God knows how many decades have learned that they can take their externalities to a certain point. And when I say externalities, you know, say there's a business that when they use products, there's waste from these products. They have learned that they can recycle the waste and either reuse it within their current business, or they can recycle it and put it into other businesses. Or if it can't be recycled, they found a way to environmentally dispose of it in a correct manner with another business who profits off of the disposal of that information or that that uh, disposal of those externalities. And they, the business, can in turn use that as a philanthropic redemption point that they can go out and go, hey, look at us. We actually recycle we recycle for the environment and this business who now makes money off of our recycling because that's their job, that's their return on investment, they now get to receive our business in turn. No government is involved in any of this. And if you want to talk about morality, we can talk about your envy, your political envy. And that's the, the basis of, you know, these this democratic socialist movement, these stances that they take, like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is doing it South by Southwest out there talking about, you know, these businesses, oh, they're immoral. Elizabeth Warren's talking about, all oh, these businesses need to be broken up because they have too much power. Oh, look at how much money Wall Street has. Bernie Sanders is out there complaining about CBS and NBC back in 1989, which we'll cover here in a little bit. But all of these arguments are made of envy and it's made of, you know, just greed their own greed. They're envious of the success of other businesses, but they want to make the case to people that have been wronged because we live in a society that doesn't uphold biblical standards as it should, and they end up doing business practices that are unethical 
that are against biblical morality. And we all see the injustices of it because we live in a fallen world where people are going to make these mistakes. They're going to they're going to step over these lines. They're going to cross these boundaries. And we're going to look at it and say, well, government, a collection of fallible people should be the ones to step in and fix these businesses of corrupt people. How does that happen? Now you have to have some sort of benevolent government. Do I think Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is going to be this benevolent overseer, this, you know, arbiter of objectivity when she's hanging out in a posh apartment that she complained about four months earlier not being able to afford? And she's making 117000 and she's talking about this, uh, you know, this disparity with income and, and, and with women, but she, yet she's hiring tons of people at good wages that she's using our tax money to do. She's funneling money for her boyfriend into, you know, other, and her chief of staff into these other businesses, you know, from her uh, campaign. I mean, corruption is going to corrupt as long as we are sinful humans. And so whether or not we are in an industry like capitalism where we may go, oh, I might cross a line because I'm looking at my bottom line. Well, we have an option to go to a business that doesn't engage that way. But we, we can't do that with an all-encompassing, powerful Leviathan government who oversees it all. Who oversees the overseers? No one. And that is the problem. We've rejected biblical morality, which is the basis of natural rights, which the Constitution enshrines and protects government overreach from stepping on. That's our biggest problem. I know it sounds, you know, preachy, but really, until people start treating their neighbors the way that, you know, we should, well, then we wouldn't engage in business to a point where we would cut corners and, and throw our employees under the bus. But we can't expect government to come in and benevolently say, oh, well, you know, we're going to fix all of that because government is going to step out and they're going to get the kickbacks from the people that want government to look the other way. They're going to get the payoffs. They're going to get put on the boards of these companies. They're going to receive financial benefits and they're going to look the other way. That's how it works because the people in government are sinful people as well. Our sponsor for this portion of the program is Tar River Arms. Let's celebrate your Second Amendment rights. Go purchase some new firearms through America's first virtual gun store, Tar River Arms. They make it much easier to purchase a firearm online. And how do they do this? They do this by providing 3D interactive experiences to view and inspect any of the weapons you wish to purchase. No need to go into a brick-or-mortar store and deal with pushy salespeople. Tarn River Arms is veteran-owned, veteran-run. They have great guns, great prices, great services, and they have weekly specials that eliminate shipping and broker fees. Your order, your pickup, no additional fees. Tar River Arms. Go to tarriverarms.com for details. So Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez goes on to pontificate as though she is the authority of the Democrat Party and of all things capitalism to, you know, the behest of the party who obviously doesn't have any sort of hold over her giant mouth. And she goes on to trash Ronald Reagan. One perfect example, I think a perfect example of how special interests and the powerful have pitted white working class Americans against 
brown and black working class Americans in order to just screw over all working class Americans um, <laughs> is, um, is Reaganism in the 80s when he started talking about welfare queens. Mm -hmm. So you think about this image, welfare queens, and what he was really trying to talk about was this, he was painting this photo, he's painting this like really resentful vision of essentially uh, black women who were doing nothing that were sucks on our country, right? And it's this whole tragedy of the commons type of thinking, thinking where it's like, because these one, this one specific group of people that you are already kind of subconsciously primed to resent, you give them a, a different reason that's not explicit racism, but still rooted in a racist caricature. Um, it gives people a logical, re a logical reason to say, oh yeah, no, toss out the whole social safety net. Yeah. And then now I've got underwear older than Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, even if the liner's ripping out. But you know what? While she was doing double dutch in her school, you know, doing the jump rope and, uh, you know, basically coloring, Clinton was playing fleshy humidor under the resolute desk. So she really didn't live through Reaganism and her experience is very limited. So for her to sit there and just espouse all this garbage about Reagan, when she could ask just about anybody, she doesn't have to sit there and pretend that, you know, it's only the history books that would tell her. There's plenty of people in their 50s alive that could tell you what Reagan did. And never mind that Reagan was for Puerto Rican statehood and he actually did a lot to bring down unemployment. If you want to talk about welfare being something that was being used, against those who were welfare recipients. Talk about Bill Clinton when he made work requirements and searching for jobs to be something that has to be mandatory in order to receive welfare. He ended up increasing the uh, number of people who were being gainfully employed who were no longer on welfare. So you can blame Clinton and then blame Obama for stripping all that when he became president. Now, this is South by Southwest. This was a music festival back in the day where indie bands used to break out and uh, got noticed. And now, just like everything else, the left has co-opted movies like Captain Marvel uh, and Black Panther. And they're going to go out with or, you know, even Roma and all these other crap movies, you know, music, whatever, whatever the culture, you know, whatever brings people to the culture. This is where the left targets and puts its talons and this is nothing new communist party usa did this back in the 50s and 60s they would have rallies where they have bands playing and people would come out to see the bands and then next thing you know some communist party usa guy is up there espousing his crap so let's listen to a little bit more of alexandria ocasio-cortez at the south by southwest festival there, we should not be haunted by the specter of being automated out of work right uh we shouldn't we should not feel nervous about, uh, you know, the toll booth collector not having to collect tolls anymore. Um, we should be excited by that. But the reason we're not excited by it is because we live in a society where if you don't have a job, you are left to die. And that is at its core our problem. And so there are a lot of different solutions or a lot of different proposed uh, ideas about 
how we go about that. You know, Bill Gates has talked about taxing robots at 90%. And what that means, what he's really talking about is taxing corporations at 90%. Talking about taxing robots. I feel like I was watching that scene on Boogie Nights where, uh, you know, they do Godfather amounts of blow and Roller Girl's like, I, I don't have a mother. Will you be my mother? I want you to be my mother. Are you my mother? I mean, it's that insane. And you know what? I can't wait for a world where robots bitch about how much money the government isn't returning to them after they switch the tax rates to put more earnings in their paychecks. You know, Twiggy from Buck Rogers is going to be pissed. He's going to be like, Buck, my return wasn't as big as it should have been last year. It's, it's literally insane. More in a second. This is Adrian Slade. The Adrian Slade Broadcast. So this whole conversation about socialism and, you know, wealth inequality and whether or not we're moral people because some people have succeeded more than others and some are in situations where they're not uh, on the same footing as other people. All of that is just complete bunk and garbage. And it's, it's a conversation that we're having across the board all over the place, outside of South by Southwest and crazy Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who's talking about taxing robots, which in turn, she means taxing corporations. I don't want to, I know we made light of that right before the break, but I do want to take a little bit more of a serious look at that because she's adding an additional tax for the usage of robots. What is that going to do? She's, she knows that taxation limits uh, behavior, you know, in the, in the tax code. And I know this because I'm a tax professional in my other job in the tax code. Well, they want you to drive more green energy cars around. They have to be brand new green energy cars that you purchase. So they'll give you a green energy credit. They want you to have more kids. They'll give you the child tax credits. They'll decide they want to what sin taxes. They want you to smoke less. They want you to drink less. They're going to tax the death out of it. They know that you're not going to stop because some of that stuff is addictive. So now they get extra revenue off of your indulgence. They know taxation changes behavior. So if they tax robots, they then in turn limit technolo technological advancement. And they also in turn push for more human capital. Well, in a perfect world, that's great. But these same people are talking about raising the minimum wage to such levels that businesses cannot sustain the cost of labor. And so then they have to make the choice. Do I take a hit on the tax and automate and then I just depreciate the assets that I use to replace human capital? You know, whether that be uh, automated kiosk, whether that be, uh, you know, you think about some of these new uh, restaurants, you know, McDonald's, Chipotle or whatever, and they're going to use these automated check-in things, you know, Wawa, what have you, um, the gas station that does subs, and you can just go through and type your order in, and then that order gets sent over. You've taken a job out that would have cost you more money on the revenue end or on, on, the, uh, on the labor end and cut into your revenue and then you just depreciate the asset on your taxes. But in turn, you've done a cost-benefit analysis on, do I keep somebody paid at a minimum wage to do this job as a person? Or is it too out of the realm of financial ability? Or is, you know, is it going to cut into the revenue 
of other things. Maybe we're not going to be able to spend money on on expansion to where we can hire more people, even though we're hiring less for that particular position. You know, I mean, whatever the case may be, you're now making the business choose. Do I hire somebody and then have them get you know hit with this minimum wage hike that I can't afford? Or do I get a robot that can do the same job, show up on time, show up every single day, work <laughs> on a pace that is reasonable? You know what I mean? They're not taking smoke breaks every five seconds. They're not complaining. They're not calling out sick every other day. You know, not to say that you can't, but some people take advantage of those things. You're now having to go, well, maybe I take the hit and I pay for the tax on the robot and I purchase the asset that costs a lot up front. But in the long run, these are all questions that are brought, you know, forth by those running these businesses. And when you decide, well, we're going to jack up the tax rate on corporations and then we're going to turn around on top of that and tax you for using robots. Now you've got to make that decision with additional parameters. So these are things that she doesn't understand, although she understands taxation being something that regulates behavior. But the fact that everybody still piles on to say, well, if people are successful and if they're doing work, then that means uh, we need to somehow level the playing field. And the only way we can do that is with some benevolent government because, you know, going out and making your own way, using your own investment hiring people, coming up with an idea, producing a product, maybe you know, hosting a service of some type that may be profitable to you to where you have then put the seed into the ground and growth has come from that seed. That's considered evil. Everybody having uh, divvied out resources by a benevolent government is somehow the new thing, and that's socialism. Even people like, listen to this story from CNBC of all places. The what was it, Business News Network here. Hedge fund billionaire Ray Dalio. Capitalism is basically not working for the majority of people. Now, he actually owns, what is it, Bridgewater? Something like that. Yeah, Bridgewater Associates. Now, he started this, listen to this, out of a two-bedroom New York City apartment in 1975. He now manages $160 billion in assets and is the largest hedge fund in the world, according to Forbes. But yet, he is saying capitalism basically is not working for the majority of the people, and that's just the reality. Oh, really? Capitalism's not working? It sure as heck worked for you. He said, today, the top one-tenth of one percent of the population's net worth is equal to the bottom 90 percent combined. In other words, a big, giant wealth gap. That was the same last time that happened was in the late 30s. So he wants to point to the possibility of a Great Depression being you know, predicated on greed. Now, there was some of that in, in the stock market, but guess what happened? It could have been something that could have snapped back pretty easily had government not piled on all these agencies, all this government costs. They try to use this Keynesian theory of taking tax revenue and pumping it back in the market. You know, that kind of stuff. You know, George W. Bush saying, I've got to abandon free market principles to save free markets. Really? Listen to what he says about this. First off, he wants to say that it's a national emergency. Yeah, the president should declare the wealth gap a national emergency. Maybe he can, you know, enact one of those national emergency fund deals 
like he's doing with the wall. Somehow, protection of our southern border and the security of the nation, which is the executive branch's, one of the federal government's main roles, protecting the federal you know, government, protecting the citizenry, protecting the nation, that's their role. Somehow that's not a national emergency, but some current wealth gap is. But I thought it was interesting when he talks a lot about, you know, the whole thing behind it. Because here's what he says, if I was doing it, I think you would have to call a national emergency, Dalio. Uh, then reason that the president could take responsibility for changing the metrics of the wealth gap by saying, I think there's a lot that can be done in private-public partnerships. Stick that in the back of your mind. And so on to be able to change it. But I fear that that probably will not be done by the next time we have a downturn. And I fear what that conflict is going to be like. Now, what he's talking about there is private-public partnerships. And it's interesting when you think about it in this aspect. It's the crux of what businesses, including his and news agencies, hear me out on this, it's what they seek. They get the ability to accumulate revenue as a private company as they see fit, but they minimize their risk by having the security net of the public tax pool, the federal government, the deep pockets of the federal government behind them. It's like an FDIC for business partnerships. You know what I mean? It's like, think about why do so many business, why do so many news networks lean so far left? Well, they're hoping one day, like the BBC, like the CBC, and even in America, like NPR, they get pretty close with that model. They're government funded. So ratings don't matter. You know, they can go out and espouse whatever kind of BS they have. And the ratings don't seem to factor into the fact that you're losing revenue. You know, even if you have decent content, you know, that's what they, they don't have to worry about having decent content anymore. They don't have to worry about pandering and, you know, using clickbait to keep their Titanic afloat. Because of the fact that they have the security net of the government. And that's what a lot of these businesses want. That's why businesses are in this government business relationship. We talked about Walmart. Walmart knows that they can go with whatever the government says. If they say, we want to jack up the minimum wage, Walmart's going to be like, oh, we'll be the first ones to do it. Well, why do you think they're going to do that? Well, because when they jack up the minimum wage to a level that is unsustainable for most businesses within their field, they can take the financial hit. And what that financial hit does is increases their market share because it knocks out all of the other ones who are operating on smaller revenue margins because Walmart has the finances to weather the storm of a jacked up minimum wage. And in doing so, they have used the strong arm of government to eliminate their competition. That's not cronyism, is it? That's not even capitalism, by the way. That is complete cronyism. That is complete capitulation between socialism and free markets being exploited by socialism. That's what China does. You cannot operate a business in China unless you sell them a percentage of shares in your business. You have to give them business interest to allow them to operate in that country. So that's why you see a lot of businesses that don't go to China. That's why you see China using a lot of counterfeiting, a lot of copyright trade infringement, because they're, you know, basically stealing 
ideas, stealing the specs, and they're making these products and services under their own way. So we need to think about all these things when we have these people out here talking about how capitalism is evil and how, uh, you know, it's immoral. But yet we're going to sit there and try to say that government should be the security net for every business. And then in doing so, government becomes the strong arm to eliminate their competition. So on top of making the rounds at the South by Southwest Festival, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez took a little time in her new role as a uh, representative of the House of Representatives to grill Wells Fargo. And it was like Occupy Wall Street. Occupy Wall Street has been officially elected to the House. Just listen to a little bit of this. If there was a leak from the Dakota Access Pipeline, uh, why shouldn't Wells Fargo pay for the cleanup of it if, since it paid for the construction of the pipeline itself? Because we don't operate the pipeline. We provide financing to the company that's operating the pipeline. Our responsibility is to ensure that at the time that we make that loan, that that, that customer, and we have a group of people in Wells Fargo, including an environmental oversight group headed by one of my colleagues who used to be at the EPA. Uh, so one question, sure our- why did Wells Fargo finance this pipeline when it was widely seen to be environmentally unstable? Uh, again, the reason that we were one of the 17 or 19 banks that financed that is because our team reviewed the environmental impact and we concluded that it was it was a risk that we, we were willing to take. Oh, yeah. Wells Fargo, you know, you paid for that pipeline, so shouldn't you be cleaning it up? Uh, no, we lend them money. The only thing missing is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez smoking a hookah, talking about getting some sweet northern lights on Shakedown Street at the Dead concert, selling grilled cheese sandwiches and nitrous balloons in the chamber. You know, she's going to be like, oh, <clears throat> those evil corporations and they're selling and the GMO and the chemtrails. And the, yeah, it's that nutty. And she goes on a little bit further to basically insinuate that Wells Fargo was also helping ICE put kids in cages. Never mind the fact that under the Obama administration, these illegal immigrants were being put in cages. And we all had issue with the fact that they were allowing the flood of illegal immigrants to come across the border and that they were basically putting them in buses and shoving them off to places that didn't want them there or putting them in detention facilities and not letting the media see them. And those detention facilities were packed full of kids in deplorable conditions. And they, you know, people went down like Glenn Beck and Dana Lash and what have you, Ted Cruz and Louis Gohmert to go down and give out toys just to show some sort of compassion to these kids. And none of that was brought up. But when Trump actually does something like enforce the border, all of a sudden now, Wells Fargo is footing the bill for ICE. Listen to this pure insanity. Anonymous consent to submit three reports highlighting uh, the bank's role in debt financing these groups, the for-profit prison companies running ICE detention facilities. Without objection, such is the order. Um, Mr. Sloan, why was the bank involved in the caging of children and financing the caging of children to begin with? Uh, I, I don't know how to answer the, that question because we weren't. Uh, so in finance, you you were financing and involved in debt financing, of course, the Vic and Geo Group, correct? 
for for a period of time we were involved in financing one of the firms. We're not anymore, and the other. I'm not familiar with the, the specific. Uh, assertion that you're making, but we weren't directly involved in that. Okay, so these companies run um, private detention facilities by ICE, uh, which is involved in in caging children, but I'll I'll move on. I mean, this was the equivalent of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez saying, "Um, why was the bank giving money to Monsanto? Because, you know, like, you know, for sure, you know, GMO and stuff. I watched a documentary on Netflix called Food, Inc., you know. And the Wells Fargo CEO fires back, uh, we give out loans. <laughs> this is a look into the mind of the militant socialist, the economic militant, the one who has to go down the list and attack everybody associated with anybody that they don't agree with. This is David Hogg attacking companies who finance businesses that sell guns and bullets and ammo. This is like those attacking advertisers of Rush Limbaugh and Tucker Carlson for going on, you know, Bubba the Love Sponge and just just shooting the breeze, you know, in a in a non-PC kind of way. This is that militant mindset. And we need to realize that this is the mindset of those who say, do not do business with this business because they do business with this business and that business doesn't jive with our ideology. This is the type of economic fascism that a socialist regime will provide, you know? And it's crazy because you actually have somebody from the left who is actually making a little bit of sense. Somebody who is decrying capitalism and guess what? Or decrying socialism. And guess what? He is being attacked because he's running as an independent. Howard Schultz, the Starbucks CEO, They are dogpiling on this guy because he's running as an independent because he thinks his party is completely loony, and he is right. And then on top of it all, he is providing the moderates and even those who went to Donald Trump that weren't conservatives, who some of them think they are conservatives, who went to Donald Trump, they're the ones who are now being courted because they would have gone with somebody like Schultz. This guy is siding more with like a JFK And he is, and Schultz isn't even close to even being that kind of Democrat, but he is a little bit less loony and a little bit more of a believer in capitalism than the guy from the hedge fund and also Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez grilling Wells Fargo over whether or not they paid for a pipeline. Let's listen to a little bit of Schultz. Going back to the Green New Deal, in the Green New Deal, there is a proposal that says that by 2030, every building in America is going to be transformed to clean energy. Now, that's a well-intentioned idea, but it's never gonna happen. So, my question to the people who are proposing these things is, let's propose things that are true, that are honest, that are sincere, and that are realistic. Just to put the math in in context, that would mean that 2,700 buildings a day between now and 2030 would be transformed and the government doesn't own those buildings. Said so they would have to mandate and the cost to it. So for the left, the only adult in the room, the only sane individual seems to be Howard Schultz. The same guy who when, you know, I guess some people went into a bathroom in one of his stores and they said, hey, you can't go into the bathroom because you got to be a paying customer. 
And then those people got kicked out and the cops got, you know, called. And next thing you know, they were trying to say it was because of racism. Um, and he shut down all of his stores to have this sort of reconditioning, this, this uh, racism forum and retraining. He's the same guy in the room. <laughs> I mean, he said to better or to become better, we must repair our broken two-party system. To those who say a third choice can't succeed, I say that's un-American as you can get. To which Alexandra Petrie, she's from the Washington Post, she said, why doesn't Howard Schultz just try to go to space like a regular billionaire? John Lovett from the Pod, was it uh, Pod Save America? Um, the Pod Bros, as they like to call them. This catastrophic little press tour by Howard Schultz is a good lesson. No matter who you are or what you achieve, you need people in your life who will roll their eyes at you when you deserve it. Rick Klein, talking about what he saw on The View, said, Howard Schultz on Trump, no one wants to hear him fired more than me, Joy Behar, and no one wants to see you run more than him. So obviously they're scared of this independent run. So much so, do you remember when Morning Joe, <laughs> Joe Scarborough, the the faux Republican on the MSNBC network where he asked Howard Schultz, how much of a box of cheer? How much does a box of Cheerios cost? He doesn't know. That was an actual headline. Um, it's not like Howard Schultz is playing the supermarket sweeps. You know, he's, he's not on the prices, right? Come on down. <laughs> actual retail price for a box of Cheerios is $2 and 14 cents. You're the winner of the showcase showdown. None of that is happening. I don't think he's probably bought a box of Cheerios probably in the last 10 years. But does that mean he's somebody that shouldn't be allowed to run for president? Now, I don't endorse him by any means, but he is going to be a formidable opponent to the left because when you look at Cory Booker, Kamala Harris, Kirsten Gillibrand, the Castro brothers, who I guess one was a postmaster general and they did the little parent trap switcheroo, and you got idiots like, um, man, you, Bernie Sanders. I mean, I, how is this? This is going to be a clown show. How is this going to be a problem for him to make an impact coming from an independent direction? I don't know. Speaking of the Democrat Party clown show of the primary process that we're about to embark upon for the presidency, even their so-called moderates, can't even come around to saying that they are capitalist. Hickenlooper. Hickenlooper was the guy on Instagram. I guess he was a governor of Colorado, and he's up there on Instagram with his guitar back when he was like 18, kicking his feet up. You know, I guess he's playing a, you know, a 76 Hicken, Hickenlooper. <laughs> I want to call him Hickenbacher, Rickenbacher, whatever. Yeah, Hickenlooper. Listen to him dance around on Face the Nation whether or not he is a capitalist, it's amazing. Well, I, I want to offer you the chance to clear something up here because you did an interview earlier in the week where you were asked three times if you would call yourself a proud <laughs> capitalist and you wouldn't directly answer the question. Uh, it led Howard Schultz, uh, who's possibly a candidate, to say, if even a successful businessman and entrepreneur like Governor Hickenlooper can't openly support capitalism in the Democratic primary, it's clear this is Senator Sanders' party now. Why are you uncomfortable calling yourself a proud capitalist? Well, I've been, uh, the point I was making is that we define 
people by these labels that, that often have all kinds of associations and baggage with them uh, in that sense. Do I believe in small business? Of course I believe in small business. I started probably more than 20 different small businesses. Uh, I'd have, you know, in, in one year I'd have over a million customers. I understand that, but what's happening? I think it's kind of a silly question. We should be looking at some of the reasons be behind why we have less and less startups. We should look sure. at some of the reasons why, you know, more and more people aren't wanting to start a business. Sure, but you understand that but, it is a, a main Republican talking point to label Democrats right now as anti-business socialists. <laughs> right, but that's ridiculous. Obviously, so you there are, would reject the that. Democratic you are, Party is a big tent. You reject that label. Yes, absolutely. I think that's uh, not accurate. And I think that, uh, as your interview with Elizabeth Warren showed, there are all kinds of, of, of different people making up the Democratic Party. And do I believe in, in free markets? Do I believe that you know you put capital to work uh, to, to create jobs and, and improve your community? You know, back when I was a kid. Businesses understood that part of their job wasn't just to make as much profit as they could, but it was to c create the community. Once you get back into these labels, am I a capitalist? Am I a socialist? How much of, how much of a capitalist yeah. am I versus how much of a socialist? It becomes kind of silly, doesn't it? Well, I mean, in a funny if, way, if the other candidates were comfortable you know, answering the question, so I wanted to offer you a chance to, to answer it. I understand you're not comfortable directly answering it, but I, I want to move on to well, I'm, some... I'm comfortable. I, I'm happy. Go ahead. Let me just, I'm happy to say I'm a capitalist, but I think at a, at a certain point, the labels do nothing but divide us. Okay. And what I'm trying to build this campaign around is to say that, that as a country, we've got to stop finding every excuse to divide ourselves and begin working together because we've got some big issues to make. Point taken. That's your so-called moderate. You know, there's many things that you can take away from that. First, he talks about, well, you know, I've been for small businesses. I've owned small businesses. Well, when does... A small business become a big business. When does it cross the threshold to where now it might be outside the capitalist uh, zone? You know, that was the other thing he said. Well, you know, these businesses, they're out there just to make profit and they are not out there to enrich the community. Um, their goal is to make profit. They didn't get into business to enrich a community. Indirectly, it becomes enriched by their existence by the hiring of the people in the community by what those people spend in the community and maybe it takes it upon itself to be a moral good individual maybe under a biblical standard as we talked about in the first segment and take it upon themselves to do for the community but that's not why they got into business so even their so-called moderates are dancing around the term capitalism and are siding with socialists because they know socialists have hijacked their party. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning in. Check out the podcast. It'll be up on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spreaker, TuneIn, iHeart, Podbean, Overcast. Also, donate, patreon.com slash Adrian Slade Show. Also, you can donate on anchor.fm. Listen online, Mojo 50 every Wednesday night, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time or Eastern Daylight Time now and on Saturday and Sunday at 5 p.m. Find me on social media at Rants Out Loud on Twitter and also at Adrian Slade Show. I'm also on Gab, Snippy, Convo, MeWe, Parlor. Search Adrian Slade. Also on Facebook, search Adrian Slade Show. We'll see you guys next time. <laughs>